Alongside Seth Goldberg, I'm Stephen Fonte. Monday edition of Orange Nation. We are brought to you in part by Dunn Tire. The phone number to call if you'd like to get involved, 315-437-7644. And we have a lot to discuss today. NFL playoffs, of course, underway. College football national championship game, I I guess, even though Central Florida has already claimed the, the national championship. But Alabama and Georgia will meet tonight to determine the actual national champion. We could discuss that as well. Can we get some 87 banners? I see Noons is, is selling some shirts. I'm in. Yeah, they didn't lose that year, right? They didn't lose. Syracuse should be the national Let's, champs did see, from 87. Did you see Tulane is claiming 1998 as their championship? It's ridiculous. It's all ridiculous. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the actual national championship game tonight uh, set between Alabama and Georgia. And, of course, a lot of SU basketball talk on the show today, and, and that's where we begin the show. Uh, we do have Adrian Autry, by the way, set to join us at some point. He normally joins us at 1.30 on Mondays. The team has practice at 1, so we're trying to... Track down red here in hour number one, and and if and when he calls, we'll we'll get him on right away. But we can start, Seth, certainly with with our observations and and what can you say? I mean, that was a brutal loss. That was the ugliest the game I can remember watching. An in a ugly while. game, but a game that we thought it was going to be ugly. I mean, we talked about it on Friday. We said this is going to be a low scoring game. Syracuse should win. Notre Dame's playing without its two best players. Matt Farrell, Bonzi Colson, not there. We know the scenario. Syracuse was in complete control of that game. I actually said at halftime, it was a nine point game. I said, this should be like a 15 point spread right now. Syracuse played better than that. It was 28, 19, uh, held Notre Dame to 19 points. They should have been up 15 points or more. Uh, oh, at, at least the, at the end of the first half, they weren't, and then it obviously came back to bite them. Notre Dame goes on that early run to start the second half, and then it's nip and tuck the rest of the way. And um, Notre Dame gets it done, fifty-one forty-nine on a bizarre sequence in the final seconds as Tyus Battle was holding for the last shot. There was about a four-second differential between shot clock and game clock, and uh, lost the ball. Notre Dame goes the other way. Rex Fluger. Uh, Tips it in with a couple of seconds left. There's both Frank Howard and Merrick Dolage. I just stopped running, stopped pursuing the play. And uh, and Notre Dame absolutely steals one. It's a cliche in sports to say, they you know, some team did. goes in there and steals one on the road. Notre Dame absolutely stole one. And that um, was a brutal loss. There's there's just no other way to describe it. So. No, and, and look, we can point to the end of the game and you could talk about end of game execution and you can question Merrick Dolzai and Frank Howard and you would be right to do that and you can uh, question Tyus Battle and how he handled that last possession uh, and, and I think there's some validity to it. I want the ball in Tyus Battle's hands. I don't want anybody else touching it, so I didn't mind. Uh, so sure, you can, you can question those things, uh, but this game was lost in the first 10 minutes. This game was lost in the first 10 minutes of basketball in the Dome uh, on Saturday when Syracuse held Notre Dame to, to, what, three points over 10 minutes to start the game, and they didn't have more than a 9-3 lead. That was it. Game's over because they 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 just they didn't take advantage of Notre Dame just playing so poorly and so terribly 
to to start that game. And they really had to because from there on out, you know, Notre Dame obviously played them pretty even and really pushed ahead of them. But it was a back and forth game after that. And, you know, because you didn't get a comfortable enough margin and because you didn't build that lead enough, Notre Dame comes out of the half, they go on an 8-0 run, and all of a sudden you're stuck in a ball game, right? And, and you're stuck in a game that you shouldn't be in. And it, it all goes back to me to those first 10 minutes where you couldn't score and you couldn't rebound and you let Notre Dame stick around and hang close enough that you only had, as you said, you only had that nine-point lead, right? It should have been 15. It should have been 20. It should have been more, and they couldn't knock down a shot. Interesting that you point to the first 10 minutes. I I point to the very beginning of the second half because even though, and you're right, Syracuse did not capitalize on the beginning of that game, did not fully capitalize on the first half. They're up by nine at the half, and you're thinking to yourself, there's no way they're losing this game. Like Notre Dame could not score. You held them to 19 points. Aside from TJ Gibbs, the rest of the team was one for 19 in the first half. You're like, how in the world is Notre Dame going to score enough points? And then they start the second half with the 8-0 run. And that, that for me, was the turning point. As soon as Notre Dame went on that 8-0 run, pulled within one, then it was a two-possession game or less the rest of the way. And that's when I felt like Syracuse is in trouble because Syracuse couldn't score either. Right. Um, Ty's battle made some great plays down the stretch. Unfortunate what happened on that final possession. I know a lot of people are saying, why didn't Jim Beheim call time? I'm fine with how they handled it. Me too. It, the ball slipped out of his hands. I'm not fine with what transpired from there. And Frank Howard and Merrick Dolajai both stopping uh, on the play. Rex Fluger doing what he should have done, and that's just run to the basket and, and clean it up. If there was a miss by T.J. Gibbs, there was there was a miss. Fluger was there all by himself, and, uh, and he lays it in, and then Frank Howard has to hoist up a, a half-court shot, desperation shot at the buzzer, doesn't go, and, and Syracuse drops to 1-2 and two in conference play. Yeah, you know the other criticism? criticism I don't like is why didn't they call a timeout after the basket? Why didn't they call a timeout after Rex Fluger hit the layup? And, and I, I heard some of that too, and I, I got some of that on Twitter, heard some of it on, on the postgame show. Um, I, I, don't, I don't understand why you would need to. I mean, you're still inbounding from under your own basket, right? And you would, all, you would have less than three seconds. You would allow that defense to get set and maybe press, whereas now they only had one guy up. Uh, I I kind of say just go and and do something now again. Should they have waited maybe for for uh, should they have wait, maybe waited for Tyus Battle to turn around to get back on the court to get him the ball rather than Frank Howard? Maybe I, I mean you can question that and I I think you can understand that when you see uh when you see Frank Howard's react or Tyus Battle's reaction to uh to the ball being inbounded he just kind of like was exasperated threw his hands up uh. So I, I think that there were some issues with how the end of the game was handled. I don't think they should have called a timeout. I don't think that uh, anybody other than Tyus Battle should uh, should have touched the ball. And it's just one of those things where you got the ball in the, in the hands of your best player. It didn't work out, and uh, you know they took Notre Dame took advantage and did basically exactly what they had done all game. They got an offensive rebound and a putback. Why do you not call timeout on that final play? You can ask Stanford why you don't call timeout exactly. on that final play. We saw that literally happen last night. USC takes the lead in the final seconds, and there was about the same amount of time left. Stanford hoists up a half-court shot at the buzzer. It goes, and, and Stanford wins. It, it's tough with, with that little time left. I could go either way on the timeout there. Maybe if, you know outlet it out to half-court, call a timeout, set up an out-of-bounds play. I, I could go either way. I'm fine that they didn't call timeout on you know battle trying to you know kill yeah, the time and come off the screen. I mean I you had the ball in your best player's hands. It, you you knew what you wanted to do. What what was going to change if you called timeout and talked about it? Uh, let's quickly go to the phone lines. Mike and Cicero is first up today on Orange Station. Hey Mike. Hey how's it going guys? Good. What do you got for us? 
so so you'll probably disagree with me, but hear me out. I personally think, and I said this to my dad after the game, that I would have personally preferred to have Howard had the ball at the end of the game. And my reasoning is I think, at least over the last few games, I think he's been the most consistent player, and I think he's more versatile. It's, I was reading an article, and they were talking about how Notre Dame was defending, and they said that they defended us exactly how that their defense worked to a T because Brissett couldn't, you know, hit a jump shot. Uh, battle, in my opinion, what you get with him is it, when he has the ball, you know he's not going to dish it off. At least with Howard, I thought there may have been more variables that if you were to drive in the lane, he could have either gone up with it or, you know, drove and then dished off to a potential open shot. I want the ball in the hands of my best player. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I want the ball in the hands of my best player. And I'll say this, Mike. Ty's battle had just made a big three. He had just made a floater before that, and he came up with a steal. Like It looked like he was... He was ready to rock and roll, and he is your best player. I, I was fine with the play, and it's a pick by Brissett, and if they do double-team and he's forced to give it up, now you give it up to a guy who can handle the ball and can drive to the basket. You know, They stayed with Brissett. Battle got an open look. Maybe he got bumped. I think the ball just slipped out of his hands, and it's just one of those things. It's unfortunate, but it happened. And oh, by the way, he was 8 of 15 shooting and 3 of 7 from the, from the 3. So he was at 55% overall and 43 from 3. I want the ball in his hands. I'm completely fine with that yeah. position. I, I I'm not fine with Frank Howard and Merrick Dolezal giving up on that play. Sure. Uh, quickly to Jake in, in Syracuse. Jake, we got about 30 seconds left in this segment. What do you got for us? All right. Um, when Adrian Autry comes on, could you please ask him why uh, Matthew Moyer wasn't in the game to shoot mid-range jumpers instead of Dolezal, who had missed three free throw shots against the zone? And clearly, we could get the ball into the middle to a guy that really doesn't have the shooting stroke. Um, but my real reason to call was the national championship game tonight. And that trophy for the national championship is just weak. I mean, go take a look at the trophy case down in the dome and see the Peach Bowl trophy or the Liberty Bowl trophy. Those are legit trophies, man. And I'm sure the national champion get, gets a ton of money. But even my girlfriend is like, man, this, this trophy is just weak for the national champion. Just want to get your thoughts. Thanks. Yeah, it's kind of boring. <laughs> it's just boring, right? It's... It's sleek and modern, but I like the well, crystal football a lot more. Whoever wins tonight may just pull a Central Florida, and maybe they'll they'll take that trophy, but then make their own as well. Sure. I mean, they can do whatever they want. Apparently, I mean, any team can do whatever the they want. West. You go undefeated, you can claim a national title. We do need to take a timeout. And to Jake's point, uh, we've got Adrian Autry coming up next. He said he's ready to go, so when we return, we'll talk to Red about the game and look ahead to tomorrow night's trip to Virginia. Keep it here. Orange Nation just getting started on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Back on a Monday edition of Orange Nation, we are powered by Drivers Village. Again, phone lines open the rest of the way for the final 90 minutes of the show. 315-437-7644. We want to talk Q's basketball. A lot of Q's basketball talk today. And with that in mind, let's go back to the phone line. Stephen North Syracuse up next on Orange Nation. Hey, Steve. Yeah, a couple of observations. Firstly, I, I, I noticed that uh, NC State, the team that Notre Dame clobbered uh, without their two stars, uh, turns around and, and, and they beat Duke. Uh, I think that tells us what the ACC is going to be like this year. There, there really aren't any great teams. Uh, there's some pretty, there's some very good teams maybe, uh, but every game I think is going to be competitive. And just because we lost a couple games 
we expected to win. It doesn't mean that we might not win a couple of games we expect to lose and and, and make up for it. So I, I, it's 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 not a pleasant time, but I I don't want people to get too discouraged because uh, uh, this this is going to be a roller coaster ride the whole season for everybody in the conference. Uh, then uh, uh, my other point is about the end of the game, and I'm not talking about the last two and a half seconds or whatever it was. I think in that situation, uh, there's no point in calling a timeout because you're going to get a half-court shot anyway. And uh, why let the, the other team set up a, a defense against it? Uh, what, what I talk about is the the uh, <clears throat> when you've got the ball and and you're you're uh, uh, gunning for the last shot. And uh, what teams do is run an isolation play for their best player. And their best player winds up kind of going one-on-five because nobody else is really doing anything. We've got three guys who could hit a game-winning shot. Uh, We've got Battle, we've got uh, Howard, we've got Brissett. Uh, Why not run an offensive play that involves getting the ball to whoever of those has the best shot and send the other two guys, uh, probably Dolage and uh, I think Sidibe was still on the court at that time, to the boards for a follow shot and force the defense to guard everybody instead of allowing them to focus on the one guy. Probably, and, and this is my opinion here, uh, because even though you've got three guys who can make a shot, one of them is better than the other two. And I and and can do a little bit more. And I'd rather, like personally, I'd probably rather have the ball in his hands. Like there there are issues with that play, and like you should probably have the other four guys moving so that the defense isn't stagnant and can really key in on Ty's battle. But uh, I I don't have an issue with only giving him the ball. It may be somewhat better than the other two, but if one guy is being guarded by the entire defense, and the other two might have a better shot, then in that instance, they become better. Yeah, and I appreciate checking in, Steve. Um, And this is the beauty of talk radio, right? We can all have our opinions. We can debate it. I have zero issue with the play that they ran. I don't need Tyus Battle had just made a three, had just made a floater. He's your best player. O'Shea Brissett was three for 15 in the game. And yes, I know Frank Howard's shot has gotten a lot better, and maybe you do something with the two of them. I'm completely fine. Pick and roll, that's their game. It was Brissett setting the screen. If they jump out and double, you can, you know... Pass it over to Brissett, and he yep. can drive to the basket. You've got your other guys in there who can crash the boards. There was a four-second differential between shot clock and game clock, so if he puts it up with, say, six seconds left on the clock, there's time for a, you know an offensive rebound or a putback or whatever it may be. I am completely fine with that play. And oh, by the way, again, watch the replay. He got an open look. Did he get bumped? I don't know why I lost the ball, okay? And, and I wasn't in the locker room after the game. Um, I, I had the day off, and, and we had other members of our sports staff and News Channel 9 in the locker room. I don't know if if it just slipped out of his hands. To me, watching on television, it looked like the ball slipped out of his hands. Um, was he bumped? You know, maybe they're, they're not going to call that. There, it was, it was kind of incidental contact. I, I like the look. I mean, he got an open look. He yeah. just made that exact same shot. I had no problem with what they did. So I am completely fine with how they played that possession. In terms of whether or not you call timeout after Notre Dame goes up with two seconds left, all I was saying was, you know, he said you're going to get a half court shot anyway. And and it's completely how the the coach wants to play it, and we know that this is what you know Jim Beheim normally does, and normally works out for him. And we saw John Gillen hit a, a similar shot last year to beat Duke by not calling timeout. He had a little more time than that, but still he got across half court. You know he, he makes the shot at the buzzer, they win the game. 
Um, all I was saying was maybe you can outlet it a little bit deeper to Frank, and then he calls timeout near half court, and now you can set up an out-of-bounds play with two seconds left and try to, again, use the pass sure. to get closer, and now you've got like a legit three-point shot opposed to a half-court shot. That's all I was saying. I'm fine with how they played it. He almost made it, by the way. It was right on. It was just a little bit short. Hit the net. Um, that's not what cost him the game. What cost him the game was... That run, I mean, you pointed to the first half. It, I think they go hand in hand. They did not take advantage of that first half. They should have been up by more than nine. They let them back in it to start the second half. The game was lost on the backboards, giving up 21 offensive rebounds to Notre Dame. And then that final sequence when Frank Howard and Merrick Dolajai stopped running, that's what cost them the game. Absolutely. It wasn't whether or not they called timeout on the possession you know, before or the possession after. That uh, that wasn't the issue at all. Look, the first 10 minutes of the first half killed him. The first five minutes of the second half killed him. And, and like you said, when Frank Howard and, O'Shea and Marek Dolzhai decided they didn't want to get a rebound, um, that that hurt them a lot more here's than the other not thing that, t- calling a timeout at the end. Here's the other thing that I haven't brought up yet. You go to the, the under four timeout. Syracuse came out of that timeout with a one-point lead. Their next four possessions out of that under four timeout, all empty possessions. Battle forced a three. Bad shot, missed it. Uh, Howard had an offensive foul. Howard had a turnover, and then Howard missed a 15-foot pull-up. All consecutively, four straight possessions, they came away empty, and then Notre Dame went on a little 6-0 run and went from losing to winning. And and again, it didn't decide the game, but it went a long way toward deciding the game because maybe they, you know, if they don't have the four empty possessions there, now you have a little breathing room. Maybe you're up five instead of down one, you know what I'm saying, or up one or or tied or whatever the case may be. I'm with you. I mean, there were so many... Obviously, in a one-possession game, there's so many things you can point to. But this game in particular, when you give up 51 points and lose, that is unacceptable. When you hold the other team to twenty, what 30% shooting and lose? Everyone outside of TJ Gibbs was 1 for 19 in the first half. Yes. And you were up by only 9. I mean, there are so they many were, things you can point Notre to Notre Dame game. played terribly. Notre Dame was awful. And you managed to lose to them. It's It's just... That's going to be a hard one to get over. Back to the phone lines we go. Scooter in Jamesville, up next on Orange Nation. Hey, Scooter. Hey, guys. You know, it's amazing. When Syracuse only gives up 51 points, they play great defense. The opposition only gives up 49, and we shot lousy. I thought both teams shot lousy, personally. I thought there was wide-open shots on both teams. Yep. They just, they just missed. And the thing I, we always wonder as SU fans is because of the zone, you can't to, you know, to me, to me, length, length equals uh, success. And you kind of wonder when you go out recruiting, if you're giving up some offensive-minded maybe forwards because the length isn't there for the zone. Last year we had White and Gilliam, uh, fifth-year seniors. I wonder if they were actually were going to be recruited by Syracuse or initially coming out of high school because of their size and because of the length. It wouldn't, it wouldn't fit their zone. Now, last year we were able to score points. We had Thompson, that, of course, the a lot of people didn't think he played great defense, but yeah, he was a he was a scoring machine inside. That we had the offense, we didn't have the defense this year because we got the length in the zone. We're playing great defense, but you know we're lacking the offense. I wonder if we have to sacrifice offense to have a, actually a successful zone. That's an interesting point. Um, and ideally, you would like both, right? You want yeah. guys who are long and athletic who can who can do it on both ends. Uh, yes, I don't think John Gillen was an ideal fit. I think John Gillen was a necessity last year, and yes. they, they went after him because they needed help at the guard position. Um, and Andrew White, I mean, turned out to be one heck of a shooter. And Gillen did sure. some good things as well, but he was not a good fit for the zone. So you're absolutely right there, Scooter. In terms of both teams played really good defense, 
and maybe I'm looking at this from the Syracuse perspective because we've been watching every single minute of every single game that they've played. They shot 40% from the field. I thought defensively, SU was really good. I'm not sure Notre Dame was really good defensively. It was just, again, a lack of offense for Syracuse. I mean, they shot 40% from the field. They were 44% from three-point range. They made a lot of their free throws. This came down, in my opinion, to they could not rebound and they could not score consistently. Like, when they needed a score, coming out of that under-four timeout, game's on the line, four empty possessions in a row. And really, it wasn't anything that Notre Dame necessarily did. It was Battle putting up a bad shot. It was Howard missing a shot. It was Howard turning it over. And and Howard on the offensive foul. Maybe there was the one possession you can give credit you know, to Notre Dame and say, well, they, you know, they caused the offensive foul. Okay, maybe. But the other three possessions are just kind of unforced errors. Yeah, no, I, I I tend to agree. I thought that Syracuse was all right offensively. I, I didn't think Notre Dame was great defensively, uh, and they they just didn't get the job done right. Like it, you can go back and forth about whether both teams played great defense. I didn't think Notre Dame was great, and Syracuse Notre Dame didn't, rebounded great. Yes, and I'll give them that yes. because SU's been great on the offensive glass. They only had eight offensive rebounds. You go to the game before, they only had six offensive rebounds against Wake and Forest. How many times those did we were talk two about, big stats in those games. And, and how many times did we talk about over the last couple of weeks that defense, it, it, rebounding is a huge part of your defense. You limit opportunities. You create more opportunities for yourself offensively. And, and look, that, that could be why they shot so poorly, right? Because they kept missing. They kept getting it back. They kept missing. They kept getting it back. But it's just like, uh, I can't help but feel like Syracuse squandered an opportunity because there were opportunities there, right? So here's another example of why I thought it was bad offense and not good defense by Notre Dame. Mike Bray basically said after the game, our plan was let O'Shea set shoot. That they were going, anytime he touched the ball on the perimeter, back off him and don't let him drive. Don't let him get off the, on the offensive glass and basically dare him to shoot. He was 3 for 15 from the field. So was that Good defense or is that bad offense? I think that's, you know, good job by Notre Dame following the game plan. But is that really defense? Just when that guy touches the ball back off of him? To me, that's a team that can't score. Yeah, no, I I agree. And and we've talked about the lack of a consistent scoring attack. And we've talked about a lack of a consistent number two, I think, since before the season started. And we thought we had seen that, and we thought that one of the two of Howard and Brissett would be able to do that. And it it just hasn't quite translated these last couple of games where Howard was really good against Virginia Tech, uh, but nobody else was. And, you know, Battle was really good against Notre Dame, but nobody else did anything. Um, And I think that you saw on Saturday that O'Shea Brissett will hit some threes, and he hit three of his first four, and then he got a little bit maybe confident. And Notre Dame kept saying, hey, you know what? He's not going to make all these. And Notre Dame bet that he wouldn't make his well, threes. And, he, and here's the thing. And they sagged off him, and he didn't. And he, he made no shots inside the three-point arc, and he wasn't getting to the foul line. So you know what I mean? So it's it's not like he was giving you anything conssistent hang in on that a second. Game. Was he overconfident or did he shoot to his like he shot forty three percent? He was three for seven for, sure. like he's not gonna shoot better than that. Or I mean he did against Georgetown, but that was that was he, wow, he was feeling right. it. He was hot. I again I I'm not blaming O'Shea percent. No, set. I'm not either. They took what the defense gave him. I think, you know, Coach Autry put it best. I think he settled at times. And I think O'Shea percent yes. would admit he settled at times. But you know what? There aren't many better options on this team. 
team than O'Shea Brissett settling for an outside shot because, again, there are three guys who consistently can score. Right. So I don't know if this was a case of he got overconfident. No, I don't think that I don't think that was the case at all. I think he shot to his potential. He was 43% from three-point range. He missed the mid-range shot. It wasn't falling for him. We've seen Tyus Battle at times not make shots. Frank Howard, when one of those three Is doesn't play shots, you're gonna be his in trouble. B game or better, we, you know, we graded them last week. O'Shea Brissett, for him, he had a double-double. This shows you how good this kid is. He had a double-double, and he that was like a C effort from O'Shea Brissett, right? Yes. I mean, yes. that shows you how good this kid is. I love his it's game. Insane. So this, that is not a knock on him, but he did not have his best game. Right, and and I focus on the three-point shot because we saw Notre Dame keep sagging right. off it, and he, and he missed the, the shots in the second half. But realistically, the problem wasn't the three-point shot. It was everything else, and that he didn't hit inside the arc, and that he only took two free and throws. And he didn't get to the free throw line. Right, and, and so that's really where the, the, the bigger problem lied with O'Shea Brissett's game, but again, I I think it just magnifies if if everyone's not doing exactly what they need to do, this team's not going to win. And this right? is like a case doesn't of doesn't no- that just magnify that? Yes, and this is a case of Notre Dame knowing the personnel and knowing the game plan. Good job by Mike Bray drilling it home. This is how we're going to win this game without our two best players. We're going to let this guy shoot and this guy shoot. We're not going to let this guy shoot. And and they they followed it to a T. If Syracuse is going to win, make O'Shea Brissett beat us from the outside. And he made a couple of shots, but by and large, over the course of 40 minutes, he was 3 for 15. So that that's you worked. Get on the offensive glass. Obviously, Notre Dame did that. They were physical with Syracuse. Jim Beheim talked about that afterwards. They didn't handle the physicality well. That was part of the game plan going in that, you know, you're going to have to push them around a little bit. They're not deep. Let's try to wear them down. And and Notre Dame, Notre Dame didn't, I was going to say Notre Dame didn't deserve to win that game. I guess, frankly, they did. I mean, because they, they did everything they had to do. Syracuse should have won, and it should not have been that close. And I think that is what is just the, for SU fans, that's what makes you want to pull your hair out of your head, is that, yeah, Notre Dame, I guess you could say, deserved a win because they made all the plays they had to make, but Syracuse should have won. Syracuse was the better team. If they play 10 times, my guess is Syracuse wins eight of them. Um, And Notre Dame figured out a way. With who was on the floor Saturday. Yeah, Yeah. obviously, yes. you know, Bonzi Colson, Matt Farrell make a big difference. But if they play that game in that situation, in that building, 10 times, Syracuse is winning eight of them, at least, in my opinion. That, that Just unbelievable that Notre Dame was able to pull that thing out. Let's get another quick phone call in here in this segment. Dom and Syracuse up next. Hey, Dom. Hey, guys. So this is the second game in a row that we've where, where Syracuse has faded late. Maybe if we have a seven-man rotation. Maybe it's as simple as dead legs. If these guys... We don't have; they're not as talented, as deep as other as other squads. And when it comes down to it, everyone having to do the exact thing every time, every night—that's draining. And you know what? Maybe it's just a case where you know, with four minutes to go, you're looking at dead legs, and you're seeing missed shots, and you're seeing a lack of rebounding. What do you guys think? I don't buy the dead legs thing for one reason, one reason only. How many times in the last five years have we seen? a seven-man rotation out of Syracuse. And I know it's different players and it's different circumstances, but that Final Four team two years ago wrote a seven-man rotation, really a six-man rotation, to the Final Four. I mean, the 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 the, the teams that they that Syracuse has had the last couple of years have relied on six or seven. And I, I get that they're different players and dif- different circumstances, but I, I don't buy that. I, because we've seen this team, we've seen this program with this coaching staff ride a short rotation every single year. And I understand what Dom's saying, but I don't really buy it either, and and, and this is this is why. Uh, why did Syracuse lose the Wake Forest game? 
it, it was because of the defensive end. They didn't guard right. the three, and they didn't rebound. They gave up three threes in a row. They scored 67 points. If this team scores 67 points, this particular team, they should win. Uh, defensively, they had the breakdowns against Wake Forest, and that game was tied with two minutes to go. They didn't get tired all of a sudden in the last two minutes. They just, Wake made a few extra plays, and 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 Syracuse did not. And that's that leads me to my second point, why I don't buy it, which is, it, it the margin for error with this team is just it's simply razor thin. It just is. You have you again. You have three guys who can score. So they are and and Dom brought up. This is where I'll agree with Dom. He said it's the same guys doing the same things game in and game out. And yes, that is draining. And you need those three guys to come up aces every time down the stretch. And human beings are not going to be able to do that every single time, right? I mean, you they're going to be in a lot of close games. They're going to win some. They're going to lose some. They won their first six that were decided by single digits. They've now lost their last three. It's going to even out in the end. I mean, it's just that's that's the way college basketball is. Again, we see it all. We've seen Duke lose to BC and NC State. Like it's going to happen. You're in close games. They're going to be even the two best, worst teams. In the league. Even the best teams are going to lose close games. Yes. So I understand what Dom's saying, but yes, I I don't buy it either. I agree with what you said. This is what Jim Beheim does. We're used to seeing six or seven guys play a ton of minutes. That's what they do. Um, like and, we literally joked about it last year. It was because remember there there was it, preseason. It was like oh wow there are ten guys on this team, and we kind of like semi joked like oh it'll get down to seven, right? That's just what happens. Like that's just what this coaching staff does. Like you pair it down to six or seven guys, and you ride with your best six or seven, and you don't let anybody else on the court. So I don't I don't buy that they're dead because of that. Yeah, and again, they lost the Wake Forest game because of defense. Both cases, they lost because of rebounding. And and that, I think, aside from the way that game ended and the shock of, of how it went down and battle losing the ball and then Frank Howard and Merrick Dolajai not running on that final play and kind of giving up on it and Rex Fluger tipping it in, aside from the shock of that, the thing that I... The, the, the deep-rooted issue, or the thing that I, I you, you have to be most concerned about, yes, the offense, but we knew this team was offensively limited. I'm, I'm concerned about the rebounding. Two games in a row now, they got beaten, and beaten pretty badly on the glass. And to give up 21 offensive rebounds to that team that did not have Bonzi Colson. Bonzi Colson is their right. best rebounder. You couldn't do He's that. one of the best rebounders in the country. You got out-rebounded by 15. You gave up 21. I mean, it was essentially a 50-50 proposition if Notre Dame missed a shot. like That, that is alarming. Yes, and in every game prior to last Saturday, it had been, or last uh, Wednesday, the Virginia Tech game, every game prior to that, it had been the other way around. Right. Where every time you missed a shot, it was a 50-50 proposition you were coming up to get to the... Uh, you were coming up with the ball, and you've got to get back to that, not letting the other team get half their rebounds. Phone lines remain open, 315-437-7644. We'll wrap up our number one right after this on ESPN Radio. Our take on the day's top stories. It's today's business on Orange Nation. It's brought to you every day by Grossman St. Amore CPAs. It's today's business as we bring in our producer, Max Bergani. What's up, Max? Do you have a good weekend? I did. It was too short, as always. As always, need more weekend hours. As po- much, much more weekend. As much weekend as possible. I'd sign up for that. I I'm even, okay with that. I'm okay with like ending the week on like a Thursday. Th- Three-day weekend next week. We don't have a show Monday. Martin Luther King Day. Crunch uh-huh. hockey in the afternoon. I'll take it. You just made my day, Seth. What do you have, See, Max? More weekend. <laughs> more weekend. <laughs> uh, let's let's take a little playoff reaction. I know we got into it with a couple callers last time. Was there anything that really surprised you about the playoffs over the weekend? Uh, the Titans coming back from 18 down. Yeah. Other than that, that surprised though? surprised me. Uh, that also made for a fun stat in that after that game... Uh, 
the teams in the previous two playoff games were down 21 to 3 at the half and both won. So it made for a fun stat afterwards. I mean, um, but Titan, yeah, that surprised me that Titans they were able to come good. back. I'm not like shocked they won, but I'm shocked how they won, like you said. Yeah. Right? Like coming down, coming back from 21 exactly. to 3, that's like. I'm not surprised they won. Uh, I thought the Chiefs were the better team and, uh, you know, like they, they were better over the course of the year, and I thought they'd straighten things out. But wasn't that game really like a, a, a mini Chiefs season? They were really, really good at the beginning, and then they were really, really bad for a little while, and the Titans just came back and won. How about the fact that I, I think Kareem Hunt, if I'm not mistaken, had 13 carries the whole game? Yep. That's not he a good game like, plan if you're the Chiefs. He only had like five after they went up by 18 yeah. points, too, which is insane. And, you know, we, we've we touched on the Bills game, um, and again— it, I'm not going to harp on this, and I'm not devastated they lost. I, I, I did not expect them to win. But first and goal on the one, can you please just run the football? Like, why yes. Why throw? And then, obviously, there was the pass interference on Kelvin Benjamin. They settled for a field goal. I don't know if it changes the outcome of the game. I mean, they're up 7 nothing there instead of 3 nothing, and then the Jags came back and tied it at 3 going into the half. Maybe it's 7-3 there. Um, but that's just a case of overthinking. There, there should be like an unwritten rule in the NFL. If it's first and goal at the one, do not pass because bad things can happen. Yeah, you saw what happened with Seattle. I mean, that's what I'm referring to. And uh, don't overthink it. Just run no, the football. I agree, but I get what they're doing. I mean, it's nice having a wide receiver who's six six five. Yeah, six, but then six, he got but, called for offensive pass. Oh no, totally. I know. And you throw it against you know their best, best defensive corner, back. Yeah. Just who's, hand the ball off. Uh, he's arguably top. Three cornerbacks in the league. But can right now? we but can we make the blanket statement here that LaShawn McCoy is the best player on that team? Yeah. So why aren't you giving it to him? Thank you. I mean, even McCoy, he, had a, he, had a he was kind of scratching his head saying, you know, I'm a running back. I want to run the football there. Yeah. I'm, right. You know, he's, he admitted, without throwing his coaching staff under the bus, he admitted, I thought we were going to run the football there. Yeah. And and they didn't. It was a tough, that was a tough fought game, though, all the whole entire yeah, game. Yeah, again, I'm both not, defenses were just. I'm not devastated they lost. It, it again, there were you know the Bills weren't going to the Super Bowl either way. This was a step forward. It they were right in that game. They made the playoffs. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with uh, with how it all went down. I asked you this in the break: if Tyrod had won that game and looked somewhat respectable, would that change your opinion at all as a Bills I don't fan think on so. him? I don't think so. I think either way, Tyrod is has taken his last snap uh, with the I Buffalo Bills. I, I think that you know. The end was signified when Sean McDermott said we're going to start Nathan Peterman because he gives us the best chance to win. Um, I, I think at, at that moment, it became clear to everyone involved, Tyrod Taylor is not the quarterback of this team in 2018. So, right. um, That's no, my next it, question, though. Who is? Because I'm seeing rumors of Sam Bradford, Alex Smith. He's I've, not on the team right now. I've said this over and over again. The starting quarterback for 2018 is not on the roster. Think they'll take someone in the draft? Does it almost hurt the Bills? Like, I know you're really happy they made the playoffs, and I know you're gonna you might take this the wrong way, but no. if there was ever a season to have like a wash of a season, is it not the year that your quarterback is leaving, and so you get a a chance at least at a draft like this coming up, where you have five legitimate quarterback options to take, and now you're nine and seven, and it's sitting outside of the top fifteen. I was like, just we talking, talking about this, in the break, about this yeah. during the break, and I said, you know, I've been you know reading about ex, you know the expectations and the predictions and the projections for the NFL draft and and where the Bills are based on who's going to take what position and whatnot. And I realize it's not set in stone, and there's trades involved, but it's it's being projected that the fil- the Bills will get the fifth quarterback in the draft, and there are some really good quarterbacks in this draft. So. Um, yeah, you but know, they also have could, two picks, and they could trade right. up. And they could trade up. You could get, you know, your quarterback in the future where they are. 
Uh, what are they, 21 and 22? Is yep. that what it is? Yep. Um, you know, you could get your quarterback in the future there. My guess, Max, is that they will go after someone in free agency, bring that quarterback in as a stopgap, and yes, I think they will draft a quarterback. I don't know if they're drafting a quarterback in the first round. I don't know if they're trading up. I don't know if they're going to wait till the second or third round. I, I think they're going to get a quarterback, and I, and I think they're going to get someone in free agency. It'll I'll be- throw out four free agents for you. Which one do you want most? Kirk Cousins, Teddy Bridgewater, Case Keenum, Sam Bradford. Well, that's what I was just going to bring up is the Minnesota situation. It's going to be Which really interesting to see. They're all free agents. Right. It's going to be really interesting if you're Minnesota because you have to pick one. You get Or well, two. Or two. You get Sam Bradford, Case Keenum, and now Teddy Bridgewater coming back. Yeah, so, you get to pick two if you're the Vikings. I would, um, I would keep two of them just because none of them have stayed yeah. healthy slash played a competent year of football. Are you going to laugh at me if I say Kirk Cousins? No, I mean I think he's I, a I good quarterback. Like, I don't like. Him. I know. I know I you don't. don't. That's like why Kirk I said he, you're going to laugh at me. I no. think he's the best quarterback of the four. That's fair. I don't think it's a great group. I, I I really don't. There there are a lot of guys who have started a lot of games. I don't think any of them are really good. I think they're stopgap. And you sign one, that's you draft saying, a quarterback, though. and and that's all you do. And you don't the, here's you don't the trust any of them for more than like a year. Here's the problem with Kirk Cousins though is he's it, he's probably. Going to get a lot of money, right? He's going to get a lot of money, and he's going to get years, right? So I don't know. You you asked me of those four, who would I who would I want to have? I my gut says Kirk Cousins is the best of the bunch, but I'm not sure he's the best fit for the Bills because you would be tying up a lot of money and a lot of years in order to get him. And right. I think you want. I I think that's exactly what you want. I think you want a Scott a stopgap for two years. You draft someone, and you and again you figure it out. Like, isn't isn't it Case Keenum Teddy, the perfect? Probably. Well, I, perfect I was going to say. I was going to say Teddy Bridgewater. Either way, because he's he's going to be trying to rebound, rebuild value. He might only want a one year deal, and if he can come back, bounce back, play well, then you can say, hey, congrats, go go do your thing, take your money, yeah. get paid somewhere else. We're not going to pay you, but yeah. go get paid by the Jets or, or somebody else. I think either way. I think either Keenum or Bridgewater probably would be a better fit for that reason, because Bradford and Cousins, you would expect, are going to command more money in more years. Isn't Teddy Bridgewater kind of just like Tyrod Taylor 2.0, though? I think he's better. I think he's better because he's younger. That's, I, mean, I, mean, I think he's a better quarterback. But again, you saw this year that Tyrod Taylor, given a really good defense, given a running game, they're starting to put weapons around him. I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl, but is right. it good enough to make the playoffs? Yeah, it is. And if he's an upgrade, and I think he is, I agree with Seth, I think he's an upgrade from Tyrod Taylor. I think they win that game yesterday if Teddy Bridgewater yeah. is playing quarterback. Yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, that the Jags defense was just playing out of their mind yesterday. I mean, the Bills offensive line couldn't do it. It was not Tyrod Taylor's fault a lot of the time because the offensive line just could not stop Calais Campbell and the entire Jags defensive line, really. And then you got to throw the ball to Jalen Ramsey. And he threw the yeah. ball 37 times, one interception, and he only completed 17 of them. And majority of them were just him scrambling out of the pocket and throwing the ball away out of bounds. Max, it goes back to what I said several weeks ago when we argued about this day after day. Tyrod Taylor is an average to below average quarterback in this yep. league. End of story. And I know that. Can can I no, claim he, victory? He, played, on, he did. Hang you on. win. You can win. I claim victory on that because you were adamant that I was wrong? I'll but give you that he one. He is. He is below. He's a. He is. He's a below average starting quarterback in this league. I'll give you that victory. Thank but you. You would, still got you the playoffs. You're so. at the point where you would spin. You would spin the the quarterback. You wheel. would. Where it, if you could spin it and take your chances that you might end up with somebody worse. But there's a chance that you end up with somebody better. You're, you would spin it you on have a Rodgers. better chance. So you're, you're going to end up with somebody better. Chance. Yes. Like there's a chance you end up with Tom Brady, but you could also have Cody Kessler. 
And you would absolutely spin and you would the wheel. Spin it if you because got you have a on. better chance that you're going to get someone better. Okay. No, that's fair. I, I agree with that. Are we shocked that the Rams only put up 13 points against the Falcons yesterday? Or Falcons are Saturday? playing well. Falcons are playing really well. But would you yeah. be shocked at a Super Bowl no, match? No, no, not at all. I uh, wouldn't put it past Atlanta. I think it's Atlanta or uh, I think that uh, the Saints. That, those are my those are my two teams, and I would not be surprised at all if the winner of the Viking Saints game is the is the NFC that's, team. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's I know I that I am in the minority on this. I think I give the slight. My gut says, and I, I realize that this doesn't make a lot of sense. My gut says the Eagles are the team to beat in the NFC still, and I know that there is no Carson Wentz. I I get that. Um, they've got home field and. They're still really good. They've got a running game. They've got a good defense. They don't have Carson Wentz, but they have home field, and I think there's something to be said for that. I, th- I think the Eagles are the team to beat. Just my gut. I, I, I've i been down on them since Wentz went down. I know. I know. I, I, I can't pick them with Nick Foles running the show. I can't do it. I can't do it. If he plays like he's played the last two weeks, there's no chance at all, but... Home field advantage is really going to play. So you're but banking again, a on huge him, role. So you're banking on him playing like he did in his first I'm start, which was him. against the Giants, which is the worst defense in the league. Can we? Can you just sure. throw out last I'm week? I'm banking they on him being like Trent Dilfer and just letting the defense take him to the Super but Bowl. It, but and and then here's the question: Is the Vikings or the Saints defense better than the Eagles defense? No, and, and that's where it really comes down to. I think the Vikings defense Vikings is maybe. just as good. Vikings maybe Saints. Little, little. In order for the Eagles no. to lose, it's going to have to be at home, and you're talking about three dome teams that are going to have to go there and win, right? It, obviously, not three of them; only two of them can play. But you, you get my point. Right. Is yeah, that if the Eagles saying, yeah. advance, then they're going to get a dome team. So, I, I just my gut says, and I realize I'm in the minority. I think the Eagles are the team to beat in the NFC. Today's business brought to you by Grossman St. Amore CPAs, located in downtown Syracuse. Grossman St. Amore CPAs provides businesses and individuals with tax planning and tax preparation services and strategies to help minimize your tax liabilities. Learn more about how Grossman St. Amore CPAs can optimize the financial opportunities for your business online at gsacpas.com. Take a quick phone call here. Uh, Monty and Cicero is up on Orange Nation. Hey, Monty. Uh, hey, Steve, I wanted to talk to you about uh, Tyrod Taylor and how, and how I think you are really uh, underrating him. You see, Bills fans, for a long time, you guys were pretty much like that uh, high school nerd who could never get a hot girlfriend. And <laughs> you guys somehow got lucky, and you're now dating a cheerleader, a.k.a. Tyrod Taylor, a fairly good quarterback. And now, no. all of a sudden, you guys think you guys deserve the homecoming queen. No, okay? no, no, just that's not true. No, I just think they have, deserve okay? a cheerleader. I don't know if they have that right now. I think Tyrod... <laughs> that was a great comparison, That, that is. Monty, I give you credit for the creativity <laughs> and for the, the analogy, but I'm going to continue with the analogy. You're, the cheerleader you're dating, she's a JV cheerleader. She's not on varsity yet. Yeah, she's... It, he, he is a he is a subpar quarterback in this league. And yes, did he do enough? Did he do some good things? And that's the maddening thing about Tyrod Taylor. Like he has talent and he does some good things. He's just not consistent. Yeah. And so I'm and I'm not saying the Bills deserve someone better. I'm saying I think the they Bills could want, get someone the Bills better. want someone better and they have a chance this offseason to get someone better. That's fair. Nerds of dreams. Nerds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great call, Monty. I appreciate you making me laugh on a Monday morning. Well, the it's a Monday afternoon now. The stat I hate when we talk about Tyrod Taylor is people are like, he doesn't throw interceptions. His yeah, because he throws rate, yeah. the ball away and runs. Like, 
He's he also throws five-yard checkdowns. Yeah. And he's, his he's passing not... accuracy is pretty good for his career. But... Wow, he doesn't throw interceptions. Yeah, he's not trying to make plays. He that makes, made me laugh. He makes plays with his feet. I'm a nerd with a dream. Let's wrap up the show right after this. <laughs>